Okay, there we go. Alright, yes, we are now recording. And this is Parshat Noah. It starts in the ninth verse of the sixth chapter of Bereshit. But I don't want to start there. I want us to go back a little ways and kind of recap. And I know that all of you were in Rabbi Avenir's class and I think that uh, you, Dale and Catherine, were a little bit late coming into his class. But I, he brought out some things in his class that really sets the stage for Parshat Noah. And that is, what was the generation like before the flood? What was going on with the family of man before the flood? And basically... The family of man, the descendants of Adam, were divided into two lines, the children of Cain and the children of Seth. And Seth, of course, was the, um, was the godly line, and Cain's was ungodly. And I want us to think about this for a moment, about what was it about Cain's line that made them so ungodly. And that was basically that when Cain um, was punished for killing Abel, he never he never really understood what it was to repent, and he was what he really needed to repent in addition to the murder, if we if we can say that. I mean, murder is bad enough, but in addition to the murder. What he really needed to repent was his attitude toward God. His attitude toward God was anger. It was, and so he rebelled because he he was like, "Well, you favored him. You you didn't uh, look to my sacrifice, and it was poor me. Now I don't need you anymore, and I'm going to be self-sufficient, and I'm going to build a life for myself without you." And he walked away. And this is what it means when it says he went east of Eden. He was walking away from God. We have in the Jewish tradition on Shabbat that when we um, say boy kala at the beginning of Shabbat, we turn to the west and we bow because we say the Shekhinah is coming from the west. And Cain went opposite. He went to the east. And so... It was a symbolic way of saying that he was walking away from God. And then his children also came, followed in that same vein, that same, those same footsteps. In fact, that he had in his line, he had um, children whose names even uh, indicated that. Mehuyael and Mehiael. Mehuyael was the father and Mehiael was the son. And Mehuyael and Mehiael, at first it starts out saying blotting out godliness in myself. And then Mehiael meant blotting out godliness in others. And this basically in a nutshell defined what Cain's line was all about. Was they were going to be self-sufficient. They didn't need anybody. They were going to build cities. They were going to invent. They were going to do all of these things. 
And then there was Seth's line that was supposed to be the godly line. But yet there was something there was something off with that one as well because in Anosh is in the in the line of Seth his son's name was Anosh and Anosh was the one that it says was it was in his generation that people started turn, um, embracing idolatry in its very beginning stages it was not blatant what we would think of as idolatry but it was really subtle and this is something Rabbi Avenir was talking about where it was talking about embracing um, yud he he was embracing the aspect of Hashem that is mercy, that is love as opposed to Cain's family who were saying no, he's harsh and he's the judge and he's and, and he We'll never get an even break from him, and so who needs it? So it was two opposite views. It was two opposite world views, but it was of God in the world, of these two families. And then what happened was they started to intermarry, which was a disaster, but yet when we look at uh, Noah later, we see that Noah's wife was actually from the line of Cain. So we have both of these lines come together for the future of mankind. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But these two lines of Cain and Seth were diametrically opposite. And if Seth's line had stayed away from Cain's line and stayed pure, they could have come back on the right track. They could have come back into balance. Because the line that came to Noah was was ten generations from Adam, and they were righteous individuals. They were individuals who they themselves understood about God. In fact, we have the story of Hanuk, or maybe you know Enoch, that he walked with God and was not. We could talk about that for a long time, but I don't want us to dwell too much on Bereshit. I want us to go on to Noah. I want us to just lay the foundation though. What's an interesting thing about the way mankind looks at the world is we've had these legends for centuries about um, Atlantis. The legend of Plato and that and when he wrote it he was even ancient at that time. And supposedly, that place that he considered so idyllic, so brilliant, so um, something to aspire to on such a high level, was a story that was told to him or passed to him by a priest from Egypt. And it was about the generation preceding the flood. So these were really great souls in the world. They had great potential. They were brilliant, brilliant minds. They were very um, fine physical specimens. They were incredible human beings. I mean, we're puny little things compared to that. In every aspect, physically, mentally, everything. We're very puny. And not only that, when we look at the uh, esoteric thinking about reincarnation is called Goof Adam, the body of Adam. 
and these great souls descended from what we say was the head and the shoulders, the top part of Adam. The souls that come into the world now are from the heels. We're at the very bottom. We're the little bitty um, leftovers of what's left before redemption will come. But these first souls that came into the world were really tremendous great souls. But they blew it because as, as great as they were, as great their potential was for doing good and for following Hashem, they also had equal great potential for evil. And that's the way it works. I mean, if a person has tremendous potential for good, he also has equally tremendous potential for evil. And, and it's not always the opposite. The opposite is not always true. But that's why a person who is a very righteous person has to really guard himself. And this is one of the things that we teach in Judaism is the fact that you have to guard your ways every step of the way. Guard your behavior. Guard your life. Always be ready to do tshuva. Always be ready to repent. Always be watching yourself. Have a watchfulness on your behavior. And don't get complacent to think, oh, I couldn't fall. In fact, there's a psalm of David saying, in my, uh, in my complacency or in my comfort, I thought I couldn't fall. But guess what? Any of us can fall. And the people before the flood had a tremendous imagination for evil as much as they did for good. And interestingly, this imagination, each, each time we see the word for imagination, and think back um, a couple of weeks when we were talking about the, the, the worlds, the heavenly worlds and the, and the words for creation. The word for imagination is Yetzar, which is formation. It comes from the world, a heavenly world, formation. And so we, we the, with our souls, in our souls, we have the potential to mold things, to formulate things our imagination that's why we have to get our imagination under control that this is something that the Nahash, the serpent appealed to with Adam and Eve was their imagination so this was this was the state of the world how people had become so corrupt that their imagination was so um, full of evil that they just, whatever they could think of, they could do it. And they were also very brilliant in the arts of black magic. And what is that? What is that magic? What is that all about? And that is, and think about this, witchcraft is exerting control over nature. Where a person isn't happy with the way Hashem created nature to be. And he wants to exert control over nature and he wants to change it. He isn't happy that something is created the way it is. He wants to be able to change it. There are times where Hashem allows that to happen. Or he says that that is within his will. And we see that in the Torah. But for the most part, that is forbidden. Because we are rebelling against the will of God. 
will of the Creator when we decide, well, I think that that needed to be a different way, and so I'm going to change it. And I'm not talking about um, building something or making, you know, like taking wheat and turning it into flour and turning it into bread. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something against turning something into something that it was never intended to be. And I think you understand what I mean. Um, so, along these lines, and it's interesting how this does come from the Midrash, but yet it's still in the consciousness of mankind. That one of the things that they did was <clears throat> that they played around with uh, mixing the animals. And this was something that Hashem had strictly forbidden. The species were supposed to be the species that he created. The animals, the plants, we, the, he forbade the mixing of the species. <clears throat> I remember when I was a little girl, I saw this film. I was about 10 years old. And there's no way I would remember this film because it wasn't all that outstanding of film. But I remember this film and it was supposed to be in Atlantis. And it scared me so bad because they had these mixtures of human and animals. And they had these these um, things as gladiators and all the people were, you know, watching the blood sport and all that. It scared me so bad I could I was scared to go to sleep. And it's not until as an adult that I think back at that about that and realize that that is very frightening because it is a rebellion against the will of God. It is one of its most basic levels of rebellion against the will of God. And, of course, the society was um, very violent. They were very self-centered. They took whatever they wanted. They were full of immorality. They did whatever they wanted to do. There was no boundaries on their behavior. They totally ignored the basic laws that God had given to Adam. And they were going to do things their own way. Everybody doing what was right in his own eyes. And into that society came Noah. <clears throat> now, Noah was somebody that was not just an average person. We um, know that there were seven things that were created before the creation of the universe. And among those seven things was the name of the Mashiach. Noah was not his given name. It was a shortened version of his given name. His given name was actually Menachem, or Menachem in the Hebrew pronunciation. The middle part, Nach, is Noach. He wasn't called Menachem, though, because his grandfather, Methuselah, realized that practitioners of black magic can have a lot of power if they know the name of someone 
And so he hid the name of Noah in order to protect him. He was born into the world and Adam had been told there would be a child who would come into the world that his birth was a mark of a time would be a pivotal time when there was a, a potential for redemption for going back to the way it was in Garden Aden. But of course this is another lesson to us because even though the spark is there the time is right it's a pivotal time it's a window of opportunity it takes one other ingredient and that is chuva from the people and acceptance of this opportunity and that did not happen so this is a lesson for us as we look at this that this spark came into the world Noah was born circumcised just like Moshe was born circumcised he was the spark of Mashiach he had the name of Mashiach he was the spark of Mashiach he came into the world and there was a potential at that time during his lifetime for redemption but failing that the the other choice was going to be destruction and this is where we pick up our story now we talked about a few weeks ago the name Elohim as it is in the creation the name Elohim related to the Sira of Bina and it says that the that Elohim spelled Yudkevoke sat on his throne over the waters of the flood. So I want us to look at Noah. Noah was a very special person. Noah's real name means comforter. Just like Noah. It means comforter. Well, actually, Noach means um, comfort or something like that. But Menachem is like a comforter. It's one of the names of of the uh, of Mashiach because this is one. What is a name? It is also a description of what the person is about. What the uh, the tough key the um what his oh. What the his what his purpose is right so we pick this up at the ninth verse of the sixth chapter and I do want us to go through this because there's so many things here that I want us to make sure I want to make sure that we really don't miss anything some of it we're going to kind of like peruse over because I don't want us to learn this in the same way as we learned it as children where it's like oh here's the ark and here's the animals and this is all cute and everything there is a lot this is a very very deep story it is something that happened in the world that has such incredible spiritual significance that I don't want us to miss even one thing if we can possibly do it these are the products of Noah Noah, a righteous man, was morally pure in his times with God. Did Noah walk? Now, sometimes people say, yeah, in his times he was pure, but if he had lived in the days of, say, 
Abraham, he wouldn't have been so ayaya. He wouldn't have been something special. But the truth of the matter is, Noah did live in the days of Abraham. Abraham was actually 58 years old when Noah died. And so he did live in the generation of Abraham. And Abraham was living in the generation of the Tower of Babel. And Noah and Shem, along with Abraham and a few others, but these three especially, were towers of righteousness in that wicked, wicked generation. And later, when we get to the end of the Parsha, I want us to make sure we get all of it, because I want us to go into that, where Noah did have an influence on Abraham. He was righteous, not just in his generation, and and he wouldn't have been in another one, but he was a righteous man, period. In any generation, he was a jewel that shined out. He had a very pure soul. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Now Shem, Ham, and Yafet, like we've talked about names, that convey the essence of what something is or who someone is. Shem means name. And so here is the aspect, the spiritual aspect. These are going to be the fathers of the world. So here are the three aspects of a human being of the spiritual, the physical, and the, and the emotional. And Shem has that spiritual aspect in him of the discernment that he took for Adam to name the animals. And so he is a spiritual leader. Ham, in Hebrew, Ham, means hot. He was a very physical person. And this was a challenge for him and for all of his descendants to overcome these temptations of the physical and for the most part they failed they really failed but even so as that that aspect of humanity this is this is a challenge that comes down from the forefather Ham and Yafet Yafet is from the word Yafet meaning beautiful or attractive and Yafet is his son's name was Yavan and he was the father of the Greeks and we know that in Greece they really talked about beauty and aesthetics and all it was very very important like the most important thing but what is that if you don't have morality and so this was the challenge of Yafet was to bring that emotional the beauty the appreciation for these finer things into the spiritual covering so that it wouldn't just be um, like it is so many times disconnected I mean this this appreciation for beauty can have a spiritual aspect to it so the challenge was to bring all of these things the physical, the emotional under and even the spiritual to do that in the correct way because a person can be very, very spiritual, but he can be an idolater, you know. It's to bring these things into their purpose that Hashem made for us in the world. And the earth was corrupt before the countenance of God, and the earth was filled with wrongdoing. God looked at the earth, and lo, it was corrupt, because all flesh had corrupted its way on earth. 
Now we're looking at, again, when we are looking at these names that are used here, here it is Elohim, and he is the judge, and he's looking at the corruption in the world, and he is and he's sitting on his throne and he is judging it. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with wrongdoing because of them, so I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make the ark consist of enclosures for animals and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its length 30 cubits. You shall make a light to the ark and finish it with within one cubit of the top. Set the entrance to the ark on its side, in its side. With lower, second, and third stories shall you make it. And I, lo, I shall bring the unsolment through water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the spirit of life. From under heaven, everything on earth shall turn numb. But with you I will maintain my covenant. With, with you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, all flesh, you shall take two of each into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of bird according to its species and of cattle according to its species, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its species. Two of every sort shall come to you so that you will keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself every food that serves as nourishment and store it away, and it shall be food for you and for them. Now let's go back a little bit. So he said that here is Elohim judging the world. Judging mankind and saying that they have become corrupt. But when we back up a little bit, we back up to the last part of, of Parshat Breshit when it says in the 6th chapter the 6th verse says God caused to alter his decision that he had made man on earth and he grieved in his heart here the name of God that is used is Yudke and what we're told is that the same mercy that had created the world and remember that it says Elohim created the world but is connected with Elohim that is spelled Yudkevavke, which is Bina, and it is filled with mercy. This name is filled with mercy, and so you have this that the same mercy that created the world decided because of the corruption, because of of the blaspheming of His name, because He created the world in order that His name would be known. That is one of the main reasons that he created the world. So the blasphemy of his name because of the of the direction, the corruption, sin of mankind, he decided to destroy all of the life in the world. Now, even though here in the where he's talking to Noah he's using the word Elohim don't get the wrong idea about this don't misunderstand this because when you look at exactly what he says I'm going to 
bring water, bring the unsoulment through water. The unsoulment, the mavul, is the flood. And destroy all flesh in which there is spirit of life from under heaven. Everything on earth, and notice this, in the English, this is a translation, shall turn numb. In other words, the waters are going to come on the earth and there's all kinds of stories about how they were so hot they were boiling and all this but yet in the, in the Torah itself in the 17th verse the last word of the verse yigvah means turn numb in other words what he's saying is he's sitting as the judge and just like the judges of the, of the earthly courts that would pass a death sentence I don't know if you realize this, that when a person would get the death sentence, that he was anesthetized before it would be carried out. And so here, Hashem is doing the same thing. That everything will be turned numb. In other words, be anesthetized before it would die. All of creation, all of the all of the living beings would be anesthetized before they would die. He wasn't just saying he was going to torture all flesh. He was going to wipe out all life, but he was not going to torture the people and the animals before they would die. And this is something for us to really understand. Because the way, if we understand how Hashem sits on his throne and judges in the courts, then we can understand and we can connect with what he means when he says to us as part of the Noahide laws that we are supposed to have courts of law it's not supposed to be vengeance it's supposed to be righteous judgment so here is an example of this now back up a little bit where he talks about the the um, command to make an ark tells him exactly specifically how that ark is supposed to be and as you read about this ark, it brings to mind another ark. And the Hebrew word for ark here is teva. And there's another place where it's not called an ark in English, but in Hebrew it's called teva. And just as it's made from, this ark is made from gopher wood, and then it's um, lined with pitch inside and out, the other ark was made from papyrus reeds and it was lined with pitch to waterproof it. Can you think of what ark I'm talking about? So that it would float in the water. And from that ark, just like this ark, came a redeemer of that time. And that ark, just like this ark, exactly, exactly, Moses has a baby. There's a parallel, a lot of parallel between Noah and Moses. They were both supposed to have been born circumcised. They were both children of promise that, that the older people in their in their family knew that these this was a child of promise. So there are a lot of parallels between this and, and why would there be a parallel is because there is that spark that he is that person for that time to bring redemption in some form in some manner and we shouldn't get our minds just like it's only one way 
there are many ways that Hashem brings redemption into the world and one of the ways that Hashem brings redemption into the world is by allowing us to have a new start another way that he brings redemption into the world is by expounding upon the laws that he's given through the Torah this was a redemption and so there has been redemption in the world you know in different ways in different um, it looks different each time it has looked different but there has been redemption coming to the world there has been the spark from Mashiach come into the world and it's very encouraging to think that we're not just looking ahead and and we've never seen it we saw redemption again I mean we saw redemption from Egypt that was redemption giving of the Torah that was a spiritual redemption all of these things we can look at and we can say we've seen it we've seen it happen and because we know it can happen and it has happened it gives us hope for the future now remember what I was talking about earlier that one of the things that the people did that was a corruption was they corrupted the animals themselves they taught the animals to violate their own nature to violate the instinct that was inside of them because an animal hears the voice of God inside himself this is instinct his instinct does not tell him to mate with a different species that is against his instinct so when he tells Noah to take of every living thing two of each onto the ark you notice how he says this in the 20th verse he says of the bird according to its species of the cattle according to its species of every creeping thing on the ground according to its species he stresses this over and over and over that it was only those animals that were pure to their species that were to be taken on the ark and this is something that we have to really understand that this was a verdict against what had happened in the world so this was this was what he was saying was that what had happened before was against his will and he wanted a clean start something that the animals that were coming onto the ark were supposed to be of pure even the ones that were what we call unclean were supposed to be pure so Noah did as God commanded him And God said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen the righteousness before me in this age. Of every clean animal you shall take seven pairs, the male and its mate. And of two animals that are not clean, you shall take two each, the male and its mate. Now of the clean animals, now this was before there was any eating of meat. Mankind did not eat meat but there was an understanding a knowledge of which animals were clean and which animals were unclean the only reason that they would have had this knowledge was because they had a long standing ten generations 
um, tradition from their fathers all the way from Adam of how to make sacrifices so these animals were considered clean another definition for those animals are animals that were fit for sacrifices to God then later whenever he gives the laws of Kashrut to the people of Israel Israel is the priestly nation and those animals that Israel is allowed uh, those animals that Israel will be allowed to eat are only those animals that are fit for sacrifice it's not saying that there is anything wrong with the other nations of the world eating the other animals and we're going to get to that when he gives all animals for food to Noah's family but when he makes this um, decree that Israel will be the priestly nation that idea that you will only eat those animals fit for sacrifice just brings across that at all times Israel is supposed to remember the priesthood <clears throat> so this consciousness this un understanding of the, the clean and the unclean was always there it wasn't something new at Sinai it was always there from the time of Noah okay and for seven uh, for yet seven days and I will make it rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights and I will blot out everything in existence that I have made from off the face of the ground forty days and forty nights we see this come up here and we see it come at the end of the story when they're coming out of the ark and we see that that idea of forty days and forty nights also where it's another idea that we see in another place and where is that you know Moshe went on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights he went on the mountain three times for 40 days and 40 nights now what else do we think of not with days but with weeks 40 weeks and we think of water and we think what does that that number 40 it brings something else to our mind we have 40 years 40 days 40 weeks now we're getting ready to bring forth something brand new and it's like a brand new baby being born 40 weeks the baby is is the gestation period for for a baby <coughs> And Noah did to according to all that God commanded him. Noah was a man of 600 years when the unsolment through water was on the earth. And Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives with him went into the ark, fleeing from the waters of the unsolment. Of the clean animals and of the animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps upon the ground, two by two male and female they came to Noah in the ark as God had commanded Noah it came to pass after the seven days that the waters of ensoulment were on the earth now in the very beginning we have the very first verse says Noah Noah these are the products of Noah Noah 
So we have that two times. It's Noah, Noah. And Rabbi Avenir told me something really beautiful about that, and he'll probably say it in his class, but I want to, I want to tell it. He was saying how Noah experienced Shabbat of this world and Shabbat of the next world. And this is why it says Noah, Noah. Because Noah means comfort and it means rest. And so Noah experienced on the ark, he experienced Shabbat as we experience Shabbat, but he also experienced Shabbat of the future in which the lion would lay down with the lamb. He experienced something that none of us experienced. And so as we read the story of Noah, we do see these correlations with Moshe because of redemption. But we also see another thing. We see something like Gan Eden, where Noah is a second Adam. Adam experienced Shabbat at the end of creation. Adam experienced Shabbat. And Adam had this relationship with the animals that Noah is going to have. It's very interesting. Noah supposedly could understand the animals and talk to the animals. He could understand what they were saying. His family could understand their speech. And that's what we say of Adam and Eve. They could understand the speech of the animals why Eve wasn't surprised when the serpent spoke to her because she talked to the animals so they all went on the ark they all came to Noah it came to pass after seven days that the waters of ensoulment were on the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on the day all the foundations of great deep were torn apart the floodgates of the heavens were opened. This was the 17th day of the month that we are currently in, Heshvan. Because we start counting from something like the story of Noah, we start counting from a universal point, which would be the creation of the world, the creation of man, which was Tishrei. So the first month was Tishrei, and the second month was Heshvan. This was the second, 17th day of Heshvan. The rain came upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them came into the ark. They and every beast according to its species, and all cattle according to their species, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth according to its species and every flying thing according to its species every feathered animal of every kind of wing they came to Noah in the ark in pairs of all flesh in which there is the spirit of life those which entered came male and female of all flesh as God had commanded them then God shut him in to protect him and we see this verse um, when we look at that who shut the door in the 16th verse and you, if you can see in the Hebrew it says God commanded them it says Elohim and then God shut the door and it says this is very important that we understand that we have these two aspects of Hashem of God 
are both together in the same verse. In fact, there's only one word separating them. Elohim, and then it says, V'yisgor, Yudke Vavke, Adonai, Be'ado. And so he wanted to protect him, and this is the aspect of Yudke Vavke. And you see this aspect of judgment the, with the um, the flood, with the rains coming, and you see the aspect of mercy together. This is something that Rabbi Avenir was bringing out was with the families, the split in the families of Cain and Seth, that they had split apart these aspects of Hashem. It was not this this um, harmony, the balance of understanding these two aspects together, coming together. And that is an understanding of the oneness of Hashem. If we split those two aspects apart, it's really idolatry because we're saying there's one God of judgment and there's one God of mercy. There isn't. There's one God. Period. And so when we look at it like this, we see it in the same verse. We're seeing two names. But we're understanding that this is two aspects of Hashem, of one God. The unsolment was 40 days upon the earth. And as the waters increased, they raised the ark, and it stood high above the earth. So, it's like the creation story, where the waters cover the face of the earth again. And there's darkness on the face of the deep again. And just as it says, the spirit of Elohim, spirit of God, hovered over the waters, here we have what? hovering over the face of the waters we have the ark the ark that Hashem said for Noah to make and this ark carries the hope it is the ark of redemption just like the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant that the people of Israel carried through the wilderness and have in the temple the ark that carried Noah and his family was also very very holy and that's the reason in the very first verses that it was so specific the measurements and how to build this ark just like the ark of the covenant was very very specific how to build it and what to put into it and only those things nothing else so we can bring these two ideas together but when you look at the Hebrew ark of the covenant is called Aaron it's not called Teva the only other time that we see um, this kind of idea and it's called Teva is the basket of Moshe so all of them were in the ark and there was darkness on the, on the face of the earth again and waters covering the earth again we have this idea of creation story all over again only when the waters had swelled and increased greatly over the earth did the ark move upon the face of the waters on the surface of the waters it moved over the surface of the waters like the spirit of Hashem hovered on the face of the waters and the waters had swelled so exceedingly high above the earth that all the high mountains which were beneath the whole sky were covered the waters had swelled 15 cubits higher said that the mountains were covered 
all flesh that moved upon the earth turned numb and here we have the word again as he said he was going to do he did of bird and cattle and of animals and of the forest and of every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth and all people all in whose countenance there was the breath of the spirit of life of all those that were on dry land died and everything that stood upon the face of the ground was blotted out from man to cattle to creeping things to the birds of the sky they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark so that the water swelled over the earth for 150 days So they were in the ark, and there's, there are stories of what happened when they were in the ark and the animals, and how he took care of the animals. And here's another thing: it was like a, a tikkun that Noah was making for mankind, as mankind had corrupted the animals, as he had betrayed his um, direction from Hashem to have dominion of the world, and he was given guardianship over the world he had he had betrayed this mankind had betrayed this and so this work that Noah did there was a, there was a reason for it there was a reason that he had to be in this ark with these animals and he had to take care of them I mean think about this I mean it was like he's in this giant pet store or this giant zoo and he has to take care of these animals and so do his sons he and his sons and the wife that was their obligation and so as they were taking care of these animals and this is something that we have to understand as we do sometimes as we do menial work we can be and we probably are doing tremendous spiritual work we're fixing things spiritually and that's what Noah was doing because mankind had betrayed a trust with taking care of nature taking care of the animals he betrayed this trust that Hashem had given to him and so as Noah is laboring and doing these menial things to care for these animals at each thing that he's doing he's fixing that broken thing for all mankind he's giving mankind a clean slate a new start by doing this labor and that's the way Tikkun works and God remembered Noah and all the animals and all the cattle that were with him in the ark and God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided the fountains of the great deep and the floodgates of heaven were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained the waters receded more and more from above the earth and at the end of 150 days the waters diminished in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to diminish until the tenth month in the tenth month on the first of the month the tops of the mountains became visible and then at the end of forty days it came to pass that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and he sent forth the raven 
It flew out, but kept returning until the waters began to dry up from the earth. Thereupon he sent from the from the dove, uh, sent off the dove from himself to see whether waters had abated from the face of the ground. But the dove found a resting place for the ball of her foot, and she returned to him in the ark, for the water was still upon the surface of the earth. She, he put out his hand and took her, and brought her back to himself in the ark. He allowed another seven days to pass, and then again sent the dove out of the ark. The dove came back to him toward evening, and lo, she had an olive leaf in her mouth. She had an olive leaf in her mouth. And so one of the things that the rabbis get from this is this is not so much a symbol of peace as it is a symbol of independence. That the dove's message is, because an olive leaf is not a, it is bitter. And the dove's message to Noah is, I would rather eat bitter food that I gain for myself than eat pleasant sweet food from your hand. So this was a symbol of a desire for independence. It's interesting if we think about our symbol of the dove with the olive leaf. We always think of peace. But yet, it's a lot more, it makes sense about independence and being being able to find for yourself. At last, in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, on the first of the month, so this would have been Rosh Hashanah. The waters were dried up from the off the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and lo the face of the ground had dried up. And in the second month, here we are in Heshvan again, on the 27th of the month, the earth was dry at last, and God said to Noah, Go forth from the ark, you, your wife and your sons, and the wives of your sons with you, every living thing that is with you, of all flesh of bird and cattle, and of every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, let them go out with you, so that they may move freely upon the earth, and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah came up, and his sons and his wife and the wives of his sons with him, every living thing, every creeping thing, and every flying thing, everything that moves on the earth, according to their families, went forth from the ark. Can you imagine after a year of being in this in this ark? of being in close quarters with all of these animals and, and uh, your close family. And, and it's dark, I mean, except for these stones that the Midrash says that Noah found in the, in the river of Pishon and he put them on the ceiling for light. It would have been dark a lot of times. And Noah built an altar to God and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered an ascent offering upon the altar. So when he built this altar to God, it wasn't taking, you know, just going to a stone that was already there. He took stones and he built them. So that this was like the earth rising up. Stone upon stone that he built this altar rising up. And then he made this sacrifice that was a tremendously huge sacrifice because he made a sacrifice 
of every clean animal and every clean bird. He took a specimen of every clean animal and every clean bird to sacrifice. It was a huge, huge sacrifice. And it was an olay sacrifice, which means it was a whole sacrifice of the whole animal. He was making the sacrifice as being a symbol of completely surrendering himself to Hashem from then on. And it was it was a covenant, the sacrifice of a covenant. And he was probably the only person that the Torah ever talks about making a sacrifice like this on behalf of all mankind. For all of those people who would come after him, here he is making this huge sacrifice. He's making this promise on behalf of all mankind of utter complete surrender to the will of Hashem we're going to start over now and we want to start over with a clean slate and to symbolize this we are giving of ourselves over to you over to your will completely we're making this sacrifice and we're going to take a specimen of every clean species so that everything that could be symbolized of our character everything that each animal might symbolize in our character is totally surrendered to you. We're not holding back anything. And that's what the message of Noah's sacrifice was. It was absolutely the most tremendous act of any human being. I mean, think about that. That was just like, it was phenomenal. Because it was for all mankind to come. And when we look at this also, I want us to notice something here. We've noticed the names of Hashem as we, we talked about the flood coming, you know, going to the ark. And notice if you if you do have Hebrew, in the twentieth verse of this chapter, when it talks about sacrifice, he uses the term Yudkevovke. It's not the vengeful, harsh God of of the uh, Old Testament demanding bloody sacrifices that idea is completely contrary to the truth of the Torah just like uses Yudkevavke here for Noah's sacrifice every place in the Torah that talks about sacrifice uses Yudkevavke it is talking about mercy because what is happening is this is a reconnection. When we say sacrifice, we say carbon. It comes from the word karov, which means come closer, come close to me. This is what carbon means. That's the word used for a sacrifice. So the term for Hashem when it comes to sacrifice is yudkevavke where he's asking you to come closer he's, at, he's the merciful one and that is what is this is a misunderstanding that has been when people talk about the quote Old Testament people have a misunderstanding about this because they don't understand from the Hebrew and God now this is something else that is just amazing and God took note 
of this expression of compliance and God said to himself and each play each time that it says God here it is Yudke Vavke never again will I curse the ground for the sake of man when the imagination of the heart of man is evil from his youth or we should say even from his youth that even if it's in a generation that has very corrupt youth nor will I ever again destroy every living thing as I have done the days of the earth shall be forever seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall never cease so now after the flood the nature of the world has changed now there's going to be very very definite seasons whereas before the flood was basically springtime most of the time you know it was always springtime the time the seasons were pleasant and because the seasons now are going to change there's going to be really cold in the world or it's going to be really hot in the world and these changes of seasons cause mankind to change as well we become weaker we get sick and our lifespan is shortened it's connected with the change in the world the change in the earth and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth now okay we're not there yet and the fear and dread of you shall be upon every animal of the earth and upon every bird of the sky of all that moves upon the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered oh he's saying again here you have dominion of the earth dominion over the animals but you have to be a good steward of these things every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and here for the first time mankind is given every living thing as food so we have to understand when the Torah is saying something specific who this is being spoken to when he is speaking here in the ninth chapter the third verse every living thing that lives shall be food for you he is speaking to all mankind and that does not change until Sinai that's when Hashem gave the laws of Kashrut to the people of Israel up until that time this was a law and the only people that there is a different law for something more narrow is for the people of Israel as with the green herbs have I given you all these however you shall not eat flesh whose blood is still in its soul now notice that not the soul still in the blood but the blood still in the soul and what we get from this is that there is a partnership between when you have the body and you have the soul and the intermediary between the body and the soul is the blood so we have to be careful of blood and although it's not stated so strongly by the rabbis when it comes to B'nai Noach it is stated very very strongly to the Jewish people not to eat the blood at all 
But in my opinion, my opinion is that this prohibition, because here in the written Torah it sounds so close to that, is that this should also apply to B'nai Noah about the blood, to be very careful of blood. And then he goes on, where he's talking about not eating the blood of a living animal, then he goes on to speak about uh, the prohibition on against murder. And it's interesting how it is phrased. But your blood, which belongs to your souls, will I demand... I will demand it from the hand of every animal. Now, that's the first thing he says. That even an animal that is a man-killer is going to be liable because he is what? He has killed man who is created in the image of God. And an animal is not allowed to kill a man. A man can kill an animal, but an animal is not allowed to kill a man. And we see this also later in the Torah where it talks about a, an ox that gores a man. He has to be killed. So this is something that we get here. And it's anchored right here in the laws to Noah. But from the hand of man, from the hand of a being that is his brother, I will demand the soul of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man and so all of the people who would say capital punishment is immoral well you have come back here to the laws that were given to all mankind capital punishment is not immoral capital punishment is decreed by God that for murder the prescription for that person's soul and we have to understand it this way is that his blood be shed capital punishment is not immoral otherwise we're saying we're moral we're more moral than God and this is this is one of the ways that a corrupt society like the society of the pre-flood era failed is if we know better than God we're more moral than God and we see this a lot in our time where people think they have their own like morality is relative we have our own morality and we think this is good and so this is good and oh that's bad the only way that we can know what is good and what is bad is through the Torah through understanding it really understanding what Hashem is saying and you, and he's speaking to Noah now, first he says to the animals, and notice that, that each time we come to a certain law, that first he says something to the animal, and then he says it to Noah. The animals also had, Hashem was giving them law, he was giving them his will. Be fruitful and multiply. And then to man he says the same thing. And you, be fruitful and multiply, diversify upon the earth and multiply upon it now this is a very interesting thing that he is telling the, the sons of Noah to spread out over the earth and that their nation should be diverse not everybody the same everybody does not have to be the same 
And it's really interesting how he gives this decree, diversify, and then he says to Noah and his son, And as for me, lo, I will establish a covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living thing that is with you, of bird, of cattle, and of every animal upon the earth with you, and of all that have gone forth from the ark, down to every living creature of the earth. I will maintain my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be destroyed by the waters of ensoulment, and never again shall ensoulment come to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I set between myself and you, and every living soul that is with you, for the generations of all time. My bow I have set in the cloud, and it shall now be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, so that whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the cloud, I will remember my covenant that is between me and every living soul that is in all flesh, and the water shall never again come become an unsoulment to destroy all flesh. The bow shall be in the cloud. I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living soul that is in the flesh upon the earth. Now think about the rainbow. He has just said to, to multiply upon the earth and to diversify. And the rainbow, what is it? A rainbow is a ray of white light. But we don't see white light when it's the rainbow. We see a spectrum of seven colors. We see it diversified. We see this refraction of the light and it's, we see the colors that are within it. It's still one white ray of light, but yet we see it in its diversity. And this is the way mankind is. This is the whole idea of B'nai Noach, that we're all one people. We're all one family descended from Noah. But yet, we're different. We're diverse. We're of like different colors. That's one way, literally, different colors. But we have different characteristics, like the three sons had different characteristics, different aspects that were more of a challenge to one than the other. Different things we had to work on. And different gifts, and different things that we can bring to the world, voice that we can bring to the world, a message something to bring to the world in a harmony, to bring harmony into the world. And this is when we realize that like the rainbow it's really the ray of white light and that each one of us is a part of that ray of white light and that we need all of the colors together to be one and so this is a message that I see in that rainbow and one of the a reason one of the reasons that Hashem chose the rainbow as a covenant and it's you see how just the placement of verses in the Torah that it comes right after that verse about being about spreading over the world and diversifying as nations the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem Ham and Yafet and Ham is the father of Canaan. Now this is a very difficult part of this story. But we're going to go ahead and go through it. 
These, um, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these all the earth branched out. And Noah began to be the man of the soil and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. And Shem and Yaphet took the garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walking backward covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his, from his wine, he learned what his youngest son had done to him and he said, Cursed be Canaan. He shall be a servant of servants to his brothers. <clears throat> one of the main things that we learn from this, one, of, uh, one thing that we learn from this that is very important is that even though honor your father and mother is not specifically stated in the seven laws of Noah, we can look at this story of what happened with Noah and realize that this is expected of all people. That we are supposed to have this respect for our fathers and our mothers, of course, but because Ham did not respect him, he did this thing that was considered very low. It was considered very unseemly that he should have done this to his father, that he dishonored him in such a way, <clears throat> and he brought a curse. Noah couldn't curse Ham because Ham had already been blessed. So he cursed his son. He cursed Canaan. And so in these verses, from 25 to 27, we're going to read those. This is another aspect about Noah that we should we should realize that Noah of Noah's greatness. That Noah, at this critical time, after the ark, after he's coming out of the ark, he has this prophetic utterance. He looks forward, and in these three verses, from 25 through 27, he tells the future of all mankind. He looks into the future, and he tells everything that is going to happen in just three short little verses. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, he shall be the servant of servants to his brothers. And he said, Blessed be God, the God of Shem. May Canaan become their servant. Now notice he said, Blessed be God, the God of Shem. And this is the first time, and this is something else very significant about Noah. We hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is something that is real common. We always hear this, and it's in the prayer book. There's three foundations. Here we see Noah saying, Blessed be God, the God of Shem. This is the first time that God is invoked like this, that he is mentioned like this in connection with a person. And so it's saying something very, very special about Shem. It's saying that Shem is going to be this spiritual leader in the world, and Noah recognized it. But it's interesting how he links God together with the name of a person and it's the first time we see this done is here by Noah. So Noah brought into the world a lot of first times, a lot of first things. The first time that a sacrifice was made for all mankind. The first time that God's name is linked to a person's name like this. 
and then he he um, says what is going to happen to all mankind. So this is the first prophecy that goes out into still even our future. That he looks out even into our future. So let's see that. God will open the emotions of men to Yafet, but he will dwell in the tents of Shem and make Canaan be a servant to them. So the rabbis say, and there's a lot to this verse where it talks about Yafet dwelling in the tents of Shem, that there's a partnership there, yeah, but even that, it's even saying and we're going to get to the descendants in the next in the next chapter the descendants of these brothers that he's even seeing the war of Gog and Magog he's even seeing that the the um, nation of Gog and Magog will be given a burial place in the land of Shem which is the land of Israel that they will be buried there and this is that he will dwell in the tents of Shem that he goes he's looking all the way out into the future all the way out to the end of time and seeing that Canaan will be a servant to them that the Canaanites are, are, are destined to fall the Canaanites were the mighty warring people they were the conquerors the, the children of Ham in the very first um, part of human history these nations were really mighty warriors and they were conquerors that took over other people's land and we'll see that when we talk about Nimrod Noah lived after the unsolment for another 350 years when all the days of Noah were 950 years he died 950 years he lived now interestingly and we're going to talk about this as we get to the very end of the Parsha the name Noach is spelled Nun Chet Noach Nun Chet Nun has a numerical value of 50 and Chet has a numerical value of 8 so Nun Chet is 58 that too is significant and we're going to see how that's significant when we get to the end of the when we get to the end of the Parsha and these are the descendants of the sons of Noah Shem, Ham and Yafet children were born to them after the unsolment the sons of Yafet Gomar and Magog and Madai and Yavan and Tubal and Mishish and Tiras. The sons of Gomar were Ashkenaz and Rifat and Togomara. The sons of Yavan, Yavan was Greece, remember? Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim and Dodanim. From these groups, the nations, branched out in their lands each to its own dialect and their families in their nations so each one had its own dialect not necessarily a language yet but its own dialect that was brought about by the different lands where they lived 
and they were influenced by how words were said according to the kind of things that they that they um, experienced in those lands. From these groups of nations branched out in their lands, each to its dialect, their families in their nations, and the sons of Ham, Cush and Mitzrayim, and Put and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta and Ra'amah and Sabtecha and the sons of Ra'amah, Sheba and Dadon. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a hero upon the earth. He was a crafty hero before God. Hence the saying, like Nimrod, a crafty hero before God. Now Nimrod was a conqueror. And according to the Midrash, Nimrod was a mighty hunter, like it says here. But the way he was a mighty hunter was that he had... Ham had taken the the garment of Adam from Noah. Noah had, had saved the garment of Adam on the ark. And Ham took it and he gave it to Nimrod. So the animals would just come to him and he was able to kill them then because they would just come to him because of this garment. The beginning of his kingship was Bavel and Arak and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, Shinar was this valley, very uh, large valley. And out of that land, Ashur went forth and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Ir, and Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is a great city. Now, notice that Ashur was a descendant not of Ham or Yafet, but of Shem. Mitzrayim begot the Ludim and the Ananim and the Lahabim and the Naphtuhim and the Patrusim and the Kasluhim whence the Philistines came forth and the Kafturim. Canaan begot Zidon his firstborn and Het and the Yebusites and the Amorites and the Gergeshites and the Hivites and the Archites and the Sinites and Arvadites and the Samarites and the Hamatites. And afterwards the families of the Canaanites spread out even more. The border of the Canaanites extended from Zidon toward Gerar until Gaza. Toward Zidom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zeboim until Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their dialects, in their lands and in their nations. Descendants were also born to Shem, father of all the sons of Eber. Eber is where we get the name Hebrew. It's Ivrit from Eber. The brother of Yafet, the elder. Shem was the brother of Yafet, and so we see a similarity here that Shem had a message to the world. Shem had a message to the world that the world, the families weren't going to listen to Shem because he was the younger brother. So Yafet, another way of partnership that developed between Shem and Yafet was that Yafet prepared the way for the younger brother to be heard. And this is another parallel that we see between Moshe and Aaron. 
two sons were born to Eber. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. In his days it was the division of the continents of the earth. Before this, all of the world, all of the land, according to Midrash, was all together. All one land mass with, surrounded by the water. But in the day of Eber was the division of the continents. I mean, uh, Peleg, sorry. And his brother's name was Yoktan. Yoktan begot Almodan, Almodad, and Shelef, Hatsamavet, and Yera, Hadoram, Uzal, and Dikla, Oval, Av, Avimaal, and Sheba, Ophir, Havila, and Yobab, and these were the sons of Yoktan. Their dwelling place was from Mesha toward Sefer to the mountains of the east. These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their dialects. In their lands, according to their nations, these are the families of the sons of Noah according to the generations in their nations. And from these, the nations branched out over the earth after the unsolment. Now we have one other chapter to go. And this is about the Tower of Babel and the um, dispersal of the nations and about Avraham. We're coming to next Parsha is about Avraham. And I do want to kind of hurry up because I do want to talk about Avraham and Noah. The whole earth was of one language and of uniform words. And it came to pass as they migrated from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said one to another, Come, give, let us make bricks and burn whatever there is for a fire. Instead of using stone, which was the normal way of building, they discovered making bricks. This is 400 years after the flood. The bricks served them as stone and the mortar served them as clay. And they said, Come, give, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top shall reach to heaven and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the earth they were concerned about making a name for themselves instead of praising the name of Hashem and God came down to see the city now notice here also it's not Elohim came down it was Yud Kevavke because he's coming down in order to be merciful to them in order to, to be fair the tower and see the sons of men were building and God said lo they are now one people and they have one language and this is the first thing they undertake now nothing will remain beyond their reach whatever and he's remembering the generation before the flood and how they were brilliant and how they used their brilliance for evil whatever they have in mind to accomplish beyond all bounds come let us go down so that their language will wither away so that the one will no longer understand the language of the other and God scattered them from there upon the face the surface of all the earth and they left off the building of the city therefore he named it Babel and for there God confused the language of all the earth and from there God scattered them over the face of the earth. Now, 
In this city that he was building lived Terach. Terach was one of the, according to the Midrash, Terach was one of the ministers of the king, of King Nimrod. And there was a prophecy that there would be a child born who would take away the kingship from Nimrod, who would be a, a challenge to his kingship. And of course this child was none other than the child of Terach was Avraham. So Nimrod made a decision that he was going to annihilate all of the baby boys of the city of the, of the country. He annihilated all the baby boys and of course Terach said of course you can't mean me. And he said well of course not. But when it became clear that the threat still existed, he realized that it was the son of Terach. And Terach was unwilling to allow his son to be killed. And so Avraham was sent away to a cave. Now according to some people, they say that Avraham was in this cave by himself. And he came to understand the, the existence of God, the one God, the Creator, all on his own. But in Sefer HaYashar, it tells the story a little bit differently. It says that Avraham was not in that cave by himself, but rather he was in that cave with Noah and Shem. And he learned about God from Noah and Shem. Now to me, I think that this is a much more plausible and, and even more powerful because it shows the value of passing down this knowledge from father to son from father to son and even though Abraham's father was an idolater he was a corrupt man himself there was Noah who was the father of all human beings and he passed this knowledge to Abraham he passed this knowledge to Abraham who would be the father of faith for all people and I think that this is a very touching thing for us to understand the greatness of Noah that Noah had this connection with Abraham and Noah's name like I said the numerical value is Nun Het and Abraham himself was 58 years old at the time when Noah left the world and so there was this hint this connection with Abraham from even the time that Methuselah gave Noah the name Noah rather than Menachem 950 years later when Noah died it was Abraham who was the new Noah because he was 58 years old he took on this Noah he took the heritage of Noah to be able to carry it forth in what would become the people of Israel and he was the founder of faith of the Abrahamic faith that as I've said before it went east with the sons of Keturah to the, and it was corrupted and idolatry yes but the foundations of the religions of the east came from Noah, from Abraham and of course we are more more familiar with the monotheistic religions of Judaism first and then Christianity and Islam as coming from Abraham but ultimately all of these have their foundation and this is something that we should really grab hold of and have it right in the very foremost part of our consciousness that they, that they have their foundation of 
truth from Noah. Just think about that for a moment. That this comes really originally not from Abraham learning in a vacuum in a cave, but from Noah. And Noah got it in a straight line from father to son, from father to son, all the way from Adam. And so this to me is more compelling and precious than saying somebody just sat alone in a cave and just had an enlightened experience. I mean, to me it's more moving even that this came in a straight line from God because the Torah also came down in a straight line from God. That, God, that Moshe went up to Sinai and received it from God and they were told Kabel, Kabbalah that it was given from Moshe to Joshua and then from Joshua to the, to the elders and then from the elders to the great assembly and to the rabbis that we have now that this came down from Sinai in a straight line it wasn't just somebody all by himself just had a vision or had a brilliant idea no it came down from heaven and then it came down as a heritage to be to be inherited by all human beings in a very orderly way so first of all I would like to see what you have to say you know to hear what you have to say about all of these things and then I, if we have time I would like us to do something else. So, do you have any questions or comments? I should have stopped section by section, but I was really on a roll. And I wanted to finish. See Glenn typing. That's right. And Shem, and this is something else, that Shem and Abar formed an academy in the land of Israel that um, taught all the patriarchs. Shem outlived even Avraham. And Shem and Eber taught all of the patriarchs at their academy. And Shem was also um, Melchizedek. We shouldn't forget this, that he was the first one to be called priest of the Most High God. The first one that we understand as having... Um, like representing formalized ritualistic religion was Shem as Melchizedek and we don't know a whole lot about how you know what he did we don't know a lot about how he functioned but we know that he was given a lot of honor by Abraham and so he was somebody that was not considered I mean Abraham certainly would not have given honor to an idolatrous priest and so we know that Malkitzetic was Shem was this person 
of tremendous virtue who is bringing knowledge of the Most High God into the world. And thank you for reminding me of that, to say that, because I just felt let that go by. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you got a lot out of this, that you, um, because as I was studying this, I was getting very, very excited that there are so many things that as we read these things, as we study these things, that we just kind of like glaze over them and we say, oh yeah, I've read that. But that each year we can come to something so new that it's like reading the whole thing for the very first time. And one of the things that has really you know, moved me as I have had this relationship with B'nai Noah is that I've come to understand the greatness of Noah in a whole new way. And this is something that I think is kind of overlooked a lot is that this was a man who embodied the, the, the spark of Mashiach. This is a man who in, in its own way brought and experienced a redemption. You know, he was the second Adam. You know, there was a greatness to Noah that is overlooked because so many times people just say, oh, well, yeah, he was the guy in the ark with the animals and then he came out and he got drunk. Well, this is really shortchanging Noah. And unfortunately, it also shortchanges us because there's so much to be gained by us seeing the greatness of him. I noticed that man, then animals, then I would assume the grain came off the ark in reverse order of creation. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's true too. Alan and Eileen, there is a lot about Noah that we, we haven't been taught. And we, we really do need to connect with this because this is the heritage of all mankind. So it's very important that we all understand that, you know, without Noah, I mean, we, none of us would be here. <laughs> That's the simple way of seeing it. But there's so much to what he brought to us. There's so much to what the ark was about, you know, and, and how the creation was started all over again. And I think that, like I said, that in the work that Noah did on the ark with the animals, that there was a change within himself and within his children. But there was a change that came about for all mankind too. That was a repairing. So, after everybody gets finished with the comments, I want us to do a very short meditation. Looking at sacrifices, it seems grains, then animals, then man. Okay, yeah. Well, 
the first sacrifices were um, Cain was bringing the fruits of the, of the ground but Abel brought the um, he brought the lambs so there was both there in the very beginning Cain was first well that's quite possible because Cain was the oldest I've often wondered where all the tales of old mythology came from I wonder if it comes from before the flood and this is something that I think is very very true because the, I, the, um, the tale of Atlantis is supposed to be about according to what I've read it is supposed to be about the generation before the flood that that was the, the story that was being told by the priest from Egypt and so when we read that in um, Genesis 6 about the heroes of old and all of that the giants and so on I think about like these mythologies like about Hercules and all of things like that I think about that and I think well there could be some of this basis in fact that some of this came from that but these things were glorified in such a way whereas in the eyes of Hashem they were not something to be glorified at all and that seems to be the mistake that we make a lot is that we glorify the wrong things right exactly So before I, we close this class, what I want us to do is I want us to do a visualization of, remember I said that um, the ark was a very holy vessel. It was made in a very specific way by the command of God for a very specific thing. And so I want us to do and how... Noah and his family had a tikkun and they had a change within themselves also on the ark what I want us to do is everybody close your eyes and take a deep breath keep maybe two deep cleansing breaths and I want us to see the ark see the ark is standing there the ark is standing with the door the door open all of the animals have gone inside and Noah's family is going inside and now we're going to go inside with them and then Hashem closes the door and we're in the ark with Noah's family we're in the ark with all of the animals we hear the rain coming down we feel the ark lifting up on the water and now I want us to just be there and this is the visualization just to be there and see what happens
Okay, does anybody have anything they'd like to share in this last few minutes? God chose the inhabitants of the ark. He decides who is righteous before him and what is worthy. The ark breathed and sustained life. God's breath was breathed into us and we are to sustain life through him. Yes, that's very good. It says that the animals, only the animals that were worthy were allowed to come in the ark. That the ark would not allow unworthy animals to come on board. And so that's really very good. It seemed like a transition from an old life awaiting a new one, as in the darkness of death or womb, with peace and waiting. That's very good. It's that same idea of the water and the 40, like the 40 weeks. I was thinking I spent a lot of time on aircraft carriers back in the day. I was thinking of a lot of people think how could Noah build such a thing as an ark, but on a carrier it carries over 5,000 souls and takes away all the weapons of war, you have a lot of room. Well, that's right. And some people say, how could Noah have cared for all those animals? And I think that in that dark environment, that a lot of the animals probably hibernated. If you think about it, a lot of the animals probably did hibernate. Bill says the ark is like life. 
never know exactly what the future will be, but you know that Hashem is in that Hashem is in control and has a purpose and a plan. And that's very much, very, very right. As we notice in the verse where it says God remembered the people on the ark and the animals, it's almost like, well, what happened? Did He forget them and then He had to remember them? But the people on the ark and the maybe the animals, but definitely the people on the ark could have had that feeling like they were forgotten and was this going to be it you know, their lives forever um, they could have had that feeling, but yet they had they had no choice this is what's interesting how sometimes Hashem puts us into a position where we have no choice but to trust Him with our future I think the animals were at peace and calm by Hashem's spirit. Oh, I agree with that. Absolutely. And this was what I was saying in the very beginning, how Noah experienced the the Shabbat of the future, of the redemption, where the lion laid down with the lamb, where the animals were at peace with each other. The animals were eating straw. The lion was eating straw, just like what Isaiah talks about, that this is um, something we look to forward to in the future where the physiology of the animals will even change because of the peace that Hashem's spirit brings into the world and so even on the ark I think that even their physiology was was altered in order to be able to eat vegetation or hibernate (laughs) so So it has been a really wonderful class. I was very excited about this Parsha. As I was studying it through the week, I was getting very excited about the things that were coming out, you know, coming alive for me. And I was really looking forward to tonight to share it with all of you. And I'm glad, I'm glad for the sharing that we do like this. And, um, so I want you, all of you to know that I really appreciate appreciate your being in the class. I appreciate your participation. Thank you. It's a great. It is a great parsha. It's a great parsha. As we go through Genesis, they're just it's just full of all these great parshas. <laughs> it's almost like you just you'd like it to just stay in Genesis, you know. I mean, the whole Torah is wonderful, but some of the Parshaot are just, you know, they're just a little bit more, some of them are a little bit difficult to study, but these are a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. And so I look forward to all of you joining me again next week. We're going to be studying Lech Lecha. That is taking up the story of Avraham and the beginning of the people of Israel. So thank you again for being with me tonight and I'm glad that all of you enjoyed it. And again I do I also enjoyed having you in the class. So have a wonderful week. <laughs>